Hi, welcome to the Methodist Central Hall Westminster Podcast. It's Dan here. Today we have a very special episode with our new Deputy Superintendent, the Reverend Lansford Pantimity. Lansford hails from Sierra Leone originally and served in the Sierra Leonean Army for over 20 years. Uh, For a number of years he was a forces chaplain and he has a fascinating take on not only his experience of the civil war in Sierra Leone in the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s, but also his uh, time as a Methodist minister and what he's looking forward to during these very strange times uh, Methodist Central Hall Westminster as we enter this second lockdown. We recorded this episode just before Remembrance Sunday 2020, so I hope you enjoy it and please do make sure you're subscribing and give us a rating on whichever podcast app you're using. So I'm delighted this morning that our new Deputy Superintendent, Reverend Lansford Pentimity, is joining us for a podcast. It seems a little bit late to be interviewing you as the new Deputy Superintendent, given now we're now in November. How have the first two months been, Lansford? Oh, Dan, the first two months has been absolutely incredible in light of what we're dealing with in terms of the way I've been welcomed, I've been received, and people have gone really, really beyond what would be normal to make me feel welcome in this digital world, albeit mostly virtually. But to be honest with you, it has been really great and I'm settling in very well. Fantastic, fantastic. So one question I often ask people at the start of the podcast is like a little icebreaker, is to tell us, obviously it might be the Bible, but apart from the Bible, what's the book that you find yourself gifting to people most often? Mm. Well, a book that I find myself gifting to people most often, and a book that I would gift to a friend in this particular a time that we're dealing with quite a lot on, on our chest will be a book titled Unshakable Hope by Max Lucado. Uh, it's a book that reassures us of, the, of God's great and precious promises and how we can build our lives on God's promises rather than focusing on our circumstances and situation that we are going through. So the book I will give at this point in time would be this book titled Unshakable Hope by Max Lucado. Brilliant. Unshakable Hope by Max Lucado. Some great books. My mum is a big Max Lucado fan, so uh, you're not from London originally. So tell us a little bit about um, where you grew up and uh, maybe, you know, what's what's a, a memory that you hold from your childhood that you, you can always sort of go back to? Is there a particular food or a, a particular smell that immediately transports you back to your childhood? <laughs> Well, that, that's a great one as well, Danny. I, Dan, I grew up in the backyard of a very deprived community in West Africa, in Sierra Leone. And it's a place called Moritown Barracks because my parents, my dad was in the army and my mom served in the army as a civilian in the records office. Uh, they were both Christians. They attended a small Methodist church in Moritown Barracks. And uh, that's where we grew up. I had six brothers and a sister, and um, uh, we lived in a one-bedroom bungalow. Imagine six boys and a girl in that one bedroom. So the bedroom was purely for mom and dad, and we had the living room to ourselves. In the night, we will convert it all and and, uh, reorganize it all and put our blankets down and things, and we will sleep, and in the morning, We'll put it all back together. So my childhood memory, it was the best life because that's the life we knew. We knew no better. 
It was all that we knew until now uh, that I know what I know. Uh, I know now that it, it wasn't the best you will expect, but we did enjoy it. What draws me back to my childhood in terms of food, my mom was a very good cook, very good cook. And, and I always enjoyed her food. And we cooked something we call cassava leaves. You may not have heard about that. So what, you may what's, not in, have... what's in that? <laughs> maybe you don't want to tell us. <laughs> I don't want to tell you. But 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 I always I always love that and I always go back to that when I think about a lovely uh, way she organized and cooked some of it. What was your subject at school? What was a, a subject that you excelled at or that you really enjoyed? The one I enjoyed and I excelled in was was history. I did a lot of history and read a lot of history because my focus was actually not to be a, a, a minister in that time when I was going to school in secondary school I wanted to be a lawyer that was my on my agenda you know so I really focused on history and I enjoyed it and I and it was great it was great obviously school and then did that lead you, you joined the army did that you join the army straight after school or did you do something else or I mean are you expected to join the Sierra Leonean army is it is it compulsory or is it do you freely join us as, as people would in the UK no then really when, when my mom died when I was very young, I was only 14 when my mom died, and she was a very stable pillar for us as a family. She, she held us all together, and so when she died, um, life was a struggle when she was around. And when she died, you can only imagine, life became a proper struggle for us. But it was at that time when I was in a very bad place trying to figure out exactly what's this new era of life is going to be like without mom, that I met a lady called um, Belinda. And uh, Belinda was just a friend we met in the music world. And um, she started talking to me about, about going deeper with God. I said to Belinda, yeah, I'm in a church. I go to a Methodist church, a small church. And she started talking about this deeper relationship with Jesus. It was at that point that I I made the decision to, to follow Jesus and to have a deep relationship with, 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 with Jesus. Just as I was making that decision around that time was when my dad convinced me uh, to join the army because life was getting a bit too much for him in terms of looking after all six boys and a girl and paying the education for all of us. So since I'd just taken my GCSE level at that time, he convinced me to join the army so I could be a bit of help in terms of supporting him with the income with my siblings. So it was a bit like the eat out to help out project. I joined the army to help out. You join as a recruit and you have the military training, which is your basic training. And then after that training in which you're trained to, to have an understanding of almost everything. But the main focus is to become a foot soldier, to be an infantry soldier, to fight in the front line. And then you grow up in that at a time when you feel confident and you have the qualification, they're always advertised for officers, and then you can apply for that. And then if you're fit, you're qualified, and you're commissioned as an officer. For me, I joined the army because I was already a Christian as a result of this encounter with this Assemblies of God lady and, um, and her influence on my life. When I joined the army, I saw myself almost leaning towards becoming a chaplain at some point because I was already in the church. I was falling in love with God. And I was at that point where I had this relationship and I want to know more about God. So I was leaning a bit more to the chaplaincy and that's where I ended up. 
So I know a little bit about my history. And of course, there was the um, Civil War, I think around about 2000, wasn't there? And there was an intervention from British forces, yeah. um, which I think, if I'm correct, they came in originally just to safeguard the embassy. Is that right? And then ended up staying and, and fighting. Was that with the Sierra Leonean army? Were you in the army at that time? Have you got any? Yes, I was in the army in that time, at that time. Yeah, they came to, as you said, exactly. They came to, to uh, secure the British embassy and help the embassy staff evacuate but also they extended the program. I lived in Moritan Barak. Actually, the, the the gadgets that the British came came with uh, in terms of the Navy was just, just outside the barracks where I was. And um, that's where they were picking up people who need to be evacuated, embassy staff. And then they extended the program to evacuate all those who had British passport because the war was really coming to Freetown now and it was really dangerous. And, and you can imagine we're all there standing, watching, and look at those people who are the privilege of having the British mm. passport being evacuated and you are there standing helpless. You can't go anywhere because you're not qualified to go on that boat. So yes, they came in initially for that, but they became a very strong and powerful part fighting alongside us uh, to beat the rebels back. So I was in the army at that time and I worked with them and I fought with them. And uh, and it was a great experience to work alongside the British army at that did point. That, did that kind of... Um strengthen the relationships between the Sierra Leonean people and the, and the sort of British army? Was that a, was something that people look back on as a positive time, you know, that, that intervention? Then a friend in need, they always say it's a friend indeed. And that's how the Sierra Leonean saw that support, yeah. that it came in right in time when we were, we were losing, to be honest with you, because the rebels were just becoming so sophisticated with the support from what they got from the diamond trade and all the other things that they were making money from and, and using to equip themselves, they were becoming really powerful and uh, we were we were on the back foot of things. But with the intervention of the British Army, it actually strengthened us, strengthened our relationship. And with that partnership, we were able to roll back their offensive and captured a lot of the lost grounds. And, uh, and till date, they are still there helping to restructure yeah. that armed forces. And it's a brilliant relationship that we are grateful. How does a, a, a Christian um, serve in the armed forces? How do, how do you square that? And it's, it's often a question that does get asked by people. How do you square the thou shalt not kill with being a soldier? And I wondered, obviously, I'm presuming you've been asked that many times before. Uh, <laughs> and I'm hoping you've got, you've got a really good answer for that as well. Well, well, that, that's a question that people always ask when you're a chaplain and you stand there and you're talking about Jesus and love and thou shalt not kill and all this. And they say, hang on a minute, stop there, Padre. How do you square this too? But yes, you can actually be a Christian in the armed forces. You can be a very good Christian in the armed forces. I know it's a very brutal line of duty with a lot to deal with, uh, but at the same time, you can find some loving, committed, dedicated, and faithful Christians in the army. In the story in Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 10, and we met a soldier there, a centurion, who came to Jesus and said, hey, my servant is struggling, he's unwell, he's dying, help me. And Jesus said, well, I'll come home with you and help you. And say, oh, I'm going to minute, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come, you know, under my roof. I don't to talk to, not to talk about you coming to lay hands on my, on my servant. So, if you just speak the word I believe. And you know what Jesus said about him? Jesus said in the whole of Israel, you know, I found this man's faith to be very strong. And he was a soldier, a centurion. So you see a good example of him in, 
in, in that role of being a soldier and being in the army. He, he didn't just have faith in God, but he also had that love for his servants. In those days, servants were like slaves. You could do whatever you want to do with your servant, but he had a passionate heart, a caring and a loving heart in wanting Jesus to help a servant. And that's what Christianity is all about, to love God with all our heart, to trust God, but also to love our friends, love our neighbor. And I saw that vividly in that passage uh, in Luke chapter 7, uh, from verse 1 uh, to verse 10. Where, is it right to kill? So are there certain times when it is right to take life? Well, at the time when I carried arms, this was a time when I, I wasn't called yet into the ordained ministry. I was, mm-hmm. it's, all, it's all in my past. It's all that, that, uh, yeah. that past that we all have that we at times don't want to think about or want to have, but you, 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 you have it with you. So in terms of taking up arms, we see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, we see God himself being a defender, God himself being a shield uh, to the vulnerable, God himself being a shield to those who are helpless. So my theology about it is that um, there is a place for it, especially when it comes to protecting uh, the vulnerable, the helpless, the powerless, the civilians, the people who who don't deserve to to be mutilated and, and, and killed and destroyed in a way war can do. So if you have an opposing side who says, no, this should not happen like this, but I first of all will advocate for people to go around the table and talk about issues because war is never the best way to solve a problem. To take up arms is never the best way to solve a problem. We must develop the culture of talking and uh, I'm reasoning with one another to do that. But when all that fails, I think uh, we all have the right to defend ourselves and defend uh, the vulnerable in our society. We all have that right and we do it in our homes. And so we can also do it and extend it to those in the public in that light. So picking up arms to defend a territorial integrity of a nation, picking up arms to defend helpless civilians, I see it as a just way to defend. Yeah. So what, what role does a chaplain play within the armed forces? You, you sort of touched on briefly on some of it, but what, what, were the, what was the core role of the chaplain and what were some of the other roles that sort of ended up playing out in your time as an army chaplain? Well, the core role for me uh, as, as a chaplain was to nurture the lives of these soldiers and their families, uh, to care for the wounded. We have lots of them in hospitals and all of other places and also to honour the dead those who die in, in, in service and in defense of their country. Uh, as a chaplain, you're a pastor in a multifaceted community of Christians from different denominations, all in one community called the Armed Forces. And there you learn how to listen, you learn how to empathize, you learn how to advocate for justice, to seek the welfare of others, and uh, to offer spiritual support, which is the most important your role as well is there to advise, to rebuke, and to bring God's mercy and love into the war theaters, the war rooms, the operation rooms, because they give the Padre a chance as well to, to listen to what's about to happen and to, and to bring the perspective of God in all of that. So I see the role of a chaplain there as a very steady role to help people to stop and think and say, why is God in all of this? And most times, that have tempered um, the action that they would have taken otherwise. 
So you, you served in the army for 20 years, which is, is, is a remarkably long time. Well, so, uh, 20 years. I was an infantry soldier for up to, from 1991 up to 2000. And in 2001, I was commissioned as an officer. And then uh, that's when I became a chaplain, a padre. Uh-huh. All this time I was foot soldier and assistant chaplain. Assistant chaplains, what you call a catechist, they're just there to help the, the, uh-huh. the official chaplains do their jobs. And uh, it was I mean, after you, the war. Yeah, yeah, were you based predominantly in Sierra Leone or did you travel elsewhere when you? In your well, I did travel elsewhere to for some courses and, and development and training. So I went to America, uh, to Nigeria, to Kenya, a few places, yeah. Great. And so you left in 2011 and then uh, you came to the UK. Tell us a little bit about that story, how that came to be. Yes, in 2006, I came across from the army to, I was still in the army 2006 when I came across to do my uh, studies at the University of Hull and uh, finished off that. And then I did some studies at Cliff College. And after my master's degree uh, from Cliff College, I went back to Sierra Leone in 2010 and uh, served for that year, and then I retired from the army. And then in 2011, came back here uh, to figure out what next. And uh, during that time, Grace and I got married in 2011. And um, I started my journey with the Methodist Church uh, as a minister transferring from my church uh, into the British Methodist Church. Right, fantastic. So how, do you, how did you and Grace meet? Well, Grace and I met uh, firstly at the University of Hull. That's where we met. She was studying there, was studying there. And then we started chatting. We met in the library and uh, I was lost. Oh, you were lost and then she found you, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was lost. Amazing Grace. (laughs) Boom, there we go. (laughs) Amazing Grace. Can you help me? How sweet that sound. And then she found me and she... She pointed me to the right direction. Of that's that's, that's the second best Christian chat-up line I've heard. Yes, and then she, she helped me out. And then from there, we exchanged numbers and we kept in touch. And uh, the rest is this beautiful family that we enjoy today. Lovely, lovely. So Lansford, you've arrived here at Methodist Central Hall Westminster in probably uh, the most challenging time that the church has faced it's a 108-year history in that we've had two world wars. Um, but obviously this time of this global pandemic is, is, is a real, you know, it's, it's just a complete blank canvas and we're all learning as we go. I wonder how you found it transferring into what is a very uh, distinct and probably, you know, one of the things that our old boss Martin Atkins used to say is that, you know, Methodist Central Hall Westminster is probably the closest thing that Methodism has to a cathedral. Um, and I wonder how you're finding this very distinctive role in a very distinctive time. I must say it wasn't what I was expecting or hoping for when I came here, the circumstance that we're in now, you know. Uh, I was really I was really hoping to meet everybody in this great, magnificent, great hall and praising and worshipping God. And we really hoped that uh, when we're coming here, but by that time, things would have been normalized for us to have that uh, face-to-face experience with people. But it wasn't meant to be. So we're still doing all this virtually. But I must say that in the circumstance, I couldn't imagine a better welcome and reception that we have received from the people, mostly virtually. Um, we, we, we're really delighted for the way they have just welcomed us. And we feel like we are part of this great work that already been going on here. 
and that we're very keen, Grace and I and the family keen to contribute to this wonderful work that is ongoing down here. As I say, my, my look forward was to really joining everybody in that great hall, praising God, learning properly about the, uh, the energy in London, the culture in London, the lifestyle in London, but we're getting there. But yeah. it's at the moment, it's a struggle. But as I say, nothing is as good as coming to a place and having the kind of welcome yeah. we have received. What gives you hope? At the other side of this, you know, what what are you? What are the, the things that you are hopeful for um, as we head back into what is going to be another very difficult time for people? Uh, what gives me hope is again going back to that book that I will recommend to a friend or I'll give to a friend is having that unshakable hope and faith and confidence and trust in the God who's been our help in ages past, who is our help today, and who will be our help in the future. And my hope is, is for the church to continue to find in ingenious ways to respond to the different twists and turns that we are going through at the moment. And uh, I'm privileged to be a part of a church that is already ahead in the game in terms of bringing the church to people online. You know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. And I am learning quickly and doing my best to learn so quick. So I'm up to speed. Uh, with this because I'm coming from a circuit that's completely different, quite different from what's going on in here. So I'm learning new skills, new IT programs, new softwares, new way of doing things, uh, so I can be of help to my colleagues and, 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 and the church. But I am really, really blessed uh, to be a part of a church that is already offering this amazing uh, 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 services online for people wherever they are, to still access God. And that, to me, brings hope. And that's part of that uncheckable hope that God has always been there and God will always help us, give us the strength and the ability to respond to the challenges that we go through when we keep our eyes on him and when we focus on him. Lansford, that's a brilliant place to leave it. It's always great interviewing a preacher on a podcast because you always get a really good conclusion. Uh, it's been so great to, uh, to have this chat. And uh, I'm going to say, as, as one of your colleagues, it, it was great to finally meet you. We, we sort of had a few weeks ago when we, uh, I came in and we filmed uh, the, uh, the Back to Church thing, which sadly has been mothballed for now, but it was, it was really lovely to meet you. And I, I think I missed that. I realised sort of sitting down with you, Ali and Tony, to break bread together, how much we've missed doing that uh, and how much that is a fundamental part and for me um, I'm really looking forward to when we're going to be able to do it again together and we can hopefully rejoice in the fact that our football team might be doing better than what they did yesterday (laughs) God bless you Lancer thank you very much God, God bless you my brother thank you very much Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. Please make sure, again, as I said at the beginning, that you are subscribing on your particular podcast provider. And please do make sure you give us a like, a rating, a five-star rating if you can. That enables more people to find out about our podcast. Don't forget to check out the church website, mchw.live, for all our live services at our church online every Sunday. Uh, We're bringing you broadcasts from our chapel in Westminster. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoy these and we will see you soon. Oh,